Welcome to the Free Birth Podcast, a supportive space for people who are learning, exploring, and celebrating their autonomous choices in childbirth. Together, we'll unpack truths, share personal stories, and claim our ability to birth freely and intuitively. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's Emily and Yolanda. Hey! We want to tell you about our amazing new course because we just launched our pre-sale. That's right. I'm Yolanda, the director of the Free Birth Society School, and I'm thrilled to tell you about the very first course we're offering, Free Birth Society's Complete Guide to Free Birth. If you're interested in birthing outside the system but you don't know where to start, or you're encountering resistance or fear in your own mind or in your community, or even if you just want to make sure you have all your ducks in a row, this course is for you. Free Birth Society's Complete Guide to Free Birth really is incredibly comprehensive. We cover everything from how to talk to friends and family, how to navigate your choices with a nervous partner, how to get a birth certificate, what prenatal care could look like when no one else is managing you, how to identify real complications and emergencies, and let's get real, we go deep into unlearning the myths about birth in our culture using evidence-based information to relearn what normal birth is and how to prepare for it. Our intention is for every course participant to emerge with the tools to approach their free birth with confidence and the knowledge to discern what safe physiological birth looks like and in possession of the power to manifest the birth of your dreams. What's also really cool is that we offer long-term support, live group coaching, options for one-on-one coaching, and you will get lifetime access to the course material. We even have quizzes and worksheets, meditations, hypno-affirmation tracks, and all sorts of unique and helpful custom-tailored birth prep for your free birth. This course is for the woman who wants to birth in power on her own terms. We have created this course especially for you because you're standing in the very place Yolanda and I both were when we recognized that hospital birth or any form of birth in captivity just wasn't our path. So head over to our gorgeous new website, freebirthsociety.com to learn more and to sign up for the course that will quite literally change your life. joined by Becca, who lives in a small village in Alaska. Due to colonialism, there hasn't been a home birth in this village for over 100 years, as everyone now leaves to have a medicalized birth. Becca decided not to follow suit and tells the story of how she chose an unassisted pregnancy and to birth in her own home. Before I even met my partner, I've only, I only met my partner like two and a half years ago. <laughs> um, so uh, before I'd even met him, I had been planning on having a free birth, which I didn't know that it was like a thing at the time. Like mm. didn't know that it was free birth. It was just um, birth. <laughs> I was going to, yeah, it was just birth. And I was going to, I was going to have my baby and I was not, didn't feel the need to go into a hospital or anything like that. Um, so I, it actually um, starts with how I was born. Um, Back in the 80s, my parents were mid-circumnavigation on their sailboat and decided to have kids. Um, And my mom got pregnant with me and had an unassisted pregnancy and um, gave birth to me on their sailboat in Spain. Um, And that, like, 
hugely, hugely affected my entire life. Just having uh-huh. that backstory, like just having that kernel of like, like pride in how I was born and where I was born. Uh, she had a midwife, but uh-huh. he came down to the boat um, and delivered. Yeah, that's awesome. Had me on the boat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So so like my kind of line of thinking for as far as having a unassisted birth was it was going to be mostly for my child, um, just to give them that experience and that story and that little piece of pride for them. Um, about how they were born and where they were born. Because I think where you're born is just, like, so important. Um, it's really meaningful. And what is, me, it, what is it about <laughs> What is it about being born on a sailboat that fills you with pride? And what is it about free birthing this little one that um, felt prideful to pass to her? Um, so ha- having been born on a sailboat, um, I... Like, I'm just completely in love with the ocean. I've worked on boats. I went to wooden boat school, learned how to build boats. I'm a shipwright. I, um, I've i lived on my own little sailboats. Um, now we work on the water. I'm a commercial fisherman. So it's just like, um, just planted a seed in me of, mm-hmm. of just boats and being on the water and being near, near the ocean. Um, cool. And I have, I have a, it just feels like I have a connection to something meaningful and like, like I didn't, it's, a, it's not something that I had to create for myself. You know, I feel like a lot of people are born into the world, like having to completely fabricate their own like identities and truths, which is true for everybody. But for me, I had like a little bit of like something already instilled mm-hmm. in me that that was a piece of identity that I could carry with me. Um, and so for my daughter, uh, where we live, um, in a little village in Alaska, um, it has about 50 people in it, and um, it's at the end of a 20-mile dirt logging road, so it's pretty isolated. Um, and this is this village is where my partner's ancestors are from. He's Haida, so um, they came here from Haida Gwaii, um, you know, generations ago, mm-hmm. and. But he was really connected to this place. And I just moved here a couple years ago, but uh, it's where we're going to be spending the rest of our lives. So um, it was important for me to have my daughter be born here because um, it's like her ancestral Uh home. Like, I mean, it's going to be her ancestral home. It is now her ancestral home. It's uh, the lineage she can trace back, you know, generation after generation who have lived here and she can walk down the beach and see the remnants of like old houses and villages and boats and canoes that have been here from her, from her ancestors. Um, So just to give her that, that tie, that, uh, that identity marker for the rest of her life that, is something that she was born with. Um, important to me. And so you had mentioned. Yeah, and she's the. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, she, she's the. Well, she's the first baby to be born in this village um, in almost a hundred years. So it's been um, it's been a really long time since anybody has given birth here um, because now actually I'm, they've been doing this you know since um, for for a long time is flying mothers out. Um, off the island. It's, we live on a big island. So they fly them off the island uh, weeks before they're due. Mm. Um, and nowadays they induce them or most women schedule C-sections. Um, so 
either stay in a hotel or, you know, some people have family, but, um, yeah, it, <laughs> it just sounds so horrible. Yeah. I mean, in a C-section, yeah. it, when you think about it that way, it does make more sense because how can you afford to go away? And especially if you don't just randomly have family that you can go stay with, um, and just yeah. wait around for spontaneous labor, which could take, you know, another month of when you've, when you've gotten there, it's just, it's, it's one of the most ludicrous and harmful things that we're doing to women right now, you know, pushing women out yeah. of where they live under this amnesia, that birth is so dangerous. They have to leave their environment. Um, you know, and as you know, it's happening in Alaska, it's happening in Northern Canada, you know, it's happening in, yeah. in many places. Um, and so it's just, it's which the, I find, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say it's the epitome of industrialized birth, you know, at the cost of primarily indigenous women, you know, which is just a triple attack on everything that's happening. Yeah. And the, the ridiculous thing to me is that, so everybody who lives on this Island, no matter what you're doing, even if you're not a pregnant person, you are always at least two hours away from emergency medical care. Like you, anybody doing anything, if they get hurt, they have to get life flighted out. So getting in your car or going out hunting and like shooting your gun or any dangerous thing that we do in our everyday, running your chainsaw to get firewood, like all these things that you're doing that are more dangerous than birth, like are, you know, you're putting yourself at risk to not have, and people live with those every day and have no problem with it. You know, there are people that are extremely, unhealthy just in their natural lives, you know, like mm-hmm. diabetic or have strokes or whatever. And it's like, if you have a stroke, you're probably going to die. <laughs> right. and, and people were just horrified that I was, that I was, um, you know, cause I didn't share with everybody that I was having an unassisted birth, but you know, I would tell them, you know, generally how far along I was or when I was expecting. And now they're like, Oh yeah, I'm expecting. And like next month, and they're like, why aren't you off the Island yet? Mm. What are you still doing here? <laughs> Like, and what well, would you say? Um, I, I, it, it depends. I would, yeah. I, I, at first I was like crusader for free birth. Right. <laughs> I would tell any person who asked <laughs> that I was having an unassisted birth. And then that just got really exhausting. Yeah. Um, and, and so I stopped and I would just, I don't know, just make up something or just, yeah, I'm not worried about it. Well, I took I took a job for the last what I thought was the last or month seven and eight of my pregnancy, and so I was like in the public a lot, and so I just had to shut that down. <laughs> and how did you do that? Uh, just I just I just stopped sharing so much personal information with people. Yeah. Um, I yeah, like yeah, I would get really angry and defensive and start ranting. Um, a lot to people about like, you know, and they're not, they're not asking to be educated. They're, right. they're, they're uneducated and they don't know. And I had a conversation with my partner cause he actually got really embarrassed one time because I, I didn't realize it until afterwards, but he kind of like repeated back to me what I had said. And I was like, wow, I sound like a pompous asshole. Like I am very educated on this subject and I know exactly what I'm doing and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, you know, at some point, it's better to just just do what you're doing and and tell people afterwards that you had a wonderful unassisted birth and well and and um, i think that that comes with this 
you know, kind of um, socialized view that we have to prove ourselves and defend ourselves and that we better have an educated reason for wanting to just birth at home. And the reality is, no, you don't, you know, it's, it's, you you don't need to have this evidence-based logical, you know, science, which, you know, gratefully we have science on our side and we have evidence on our side, you know, but at the end of the day, and I think you make a good point that most people aren't looking to be educated. They're looking to engage you in their own self-righteousness and fear. And so that's not worth anybody's time really. But, you know, I think the other interesting point to this is you don't need a good reason. And I think a lot of us have felt, um, and not just with birth, with other kind of alternative life decisions, you know, that we needed to have this really justification for why we're doing it. And, you know, in a way, I think real feminism is in real self-powerment is to just be like, no, I'm good. Like, I'm just going to do me and I don't need to explain myself. Right. Yeah. And to not not feel like there are multiple times that I felt, I felt stupid. Like I, like they would ask me a question and I wouldn't have like some perfectly boxed, intelligent sounding answer, Mm -hmm. like right on the tip of my tongue. And then I would just feel like, Oh my God, my, you know, I'm not doing every free birth or justice, (laughs) you know, by not being able to articulate exactly why I'm doing it. But just because, I mean, I know these things, I know them within my head. Like I am educated on the subject. I just like in the moment, like can't get anything. Sure. It's intimidating. Totally. (laughs) And what you're supposed to like give them a, a, you know, a list of how you're going to medically manage every possible complication. And, you know, and that's what they want. Of course. Well, yeah, that's that's (laughs) where everybody goes. Um, yeah. you know, but, but again, it's not like most people are asking free birthers so that they can get, um, so that they can get like open-minded education. Um, so yeah, I totally hear you. And, and again, yeah. you don't, you don't, you know, and the whole, one of my favorite quotes is you cannot both prepare for and prevent war. And, you know, free birthers typically that I know are not super focused on, the very, very, very tiny percent of complications that could arise. Um, you know, because honestly, like if you're, if you're going to be obsessive about that, gosh, I don't know that you should be birthing at home without management, you know, is that, that's like a real, um, a real dangerous mental space to start your birthing process in. Yeah. Well, cause at that point in a way you're sort of managing yourself and you're, you're still using the, the mindset and the tools and falling into the same traps that, you know, an external source is in the medical world, but totally. you're, just, you're just filling those shoes for yourself. Well, yeah, so, I mean, this makes yeah, me and think I'm of... not, I'm not a planner. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, I'm just not, I, I, I bought so many, um, books on birth that I read like two pages of each of them and I was like, meh. Totally. <laughs> not well, interested. And that's the thing. I mean, this is, this is one of my favorite parts about, free birth and birth in general and, and well, I guess they're kind of the same thing, really unmanaged birth is it spontaneously occurs, whether you know anything or not, you know, just like a bowel movement, you know, and, and mostly like an orgasm, you know, it's, these are biological functions that occur without our cerebral mind telling our body what to do. And so 
you know, I get into this argument a lot with licensed midwives who are like, well, if you're going to free birth, you need to know everything and you need to be super informed and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, actually women have been birthing literally forever that we've been here. And, you know, you think that 10,000 years ago, women had all this childbirth ed and understood the intricacies of our hormonal blueprint and how physiological birth unfolds and da, 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 da. Of course not. You know, you actually don't really, if you choose, it's okay to not learn everything there is to learn. Um, and I love when women, I know tons of women who have free birth who just said, no, I'm good. I'm not going to read a book. I'm not going to, um, that's not the way I'm going to approach this. And, you know, it's the essence of free birth is you get to choose how you do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you're not having other people's experiences and like anything layered on top mm-hmm. of your own experience, which isn't inherently a bad thing. But for me, that was, it was really cool to just live my own experience without having like up, up to the last few months before I birthed, I, I kind of just quit listening to, <laughs> quit listening to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. I just, I just was kind of clearing my own mind of other people's experiences mm-hmm. and just kind of doing my own thing. So, and also another, another part of that with us being so isolated here, that was a huge factor in my pregnancy, um, which is something that I, I, I worked out really early on was that, um, if anything, there, there was very, very, very few instances in which I would need assistance, like, or that I would, that I would call for assistance mm-hmm. because we're so far away from help that it's either going to be fatal really quickly right. or it's something that I can handle myself. And so there's like, there's like one or two things that I was like, well, if this happens, I guess I might call and go in and get help. But, um, so something that I really came to terms with was that I, and like this, this sounds really harsh, but like I would rather have my baby die or me die here at home with loved ones on my own terms than, um, than go get assistance. <laughs> like that, and then go because cause we're so far away that uh-huh. it would be it would be a huge ordeal. I mean, right. it would be life flight helicopters coming in, um, and it would just be it would be a really big deal. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is you have to make a decision of which model to go with, go with nature or go with preventative assistance. And, you know, under, we already know that under the obstetrical model, they're just looking at essentially a live baby and a live mother. But, you know, the conversation Mm -hmm. is never had at what cost. You know, and yeah, I think you're not alone at all in that. A lot of women who are birthing independently feel that way. Um, I I totally hear you. Yeah. So how did yep. how did your immediate surrounding family and partner all take to this? Um, they were all actually really amazing it's funny because I was so I was so prepared to fight like (laughs) I just had like my defenses up and I saw all these arguments and um so well so for with my partner Hugh um I was listening to your podcast and like I had planned on an unassisted birth before I even met him um and I had been pestering him for a baby (laughs) all summer while we were out fishing he was stuck with me on the (laughs) boat while we were out fishing um incessantly 
would be when I have a baby. <laughs> so uh, at the very end of the summer is when we conceived. And um, I had in my head uh, an idea of what kind of partner I wanted in pregnancy and birth. And I wanted uh, somebody who's going to be really interested in my body and what was happening and what the baby looked like and, you know, just like the physiological processes and he was going to catch the baby and um, all of this. And I, uh, I remember when I, when I had like a first kind of like serious conversation about um, what birth would look like with my partner. Um, and he, he said, I don't want to catch the baby. I have no interest um, in that. And I was just devastated. Like I was crying and I was like, you know, cause I had to reevaluate my whole ideal uh-huh. of what, what I wanted out of a partner. Um, and so that was also kind of a, a journey throughout pregnancy is realizing that the partner I have is not, not the partner that I envisioned um, and that's okay. He's not interested in uh, he's not interested in the physiological process. He doesn't doesn't want to know about my my cervical mucus and any of that stuff. But he's he's super on board with free birth. He's just I mean he's just that guy that was like it's your body, it's your baby. Yeah. You know I support you in whatever you want to do, and and I'm behind you 100. percent But I don't need to know about it. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean that's kind so. of perfect in some ways. Yeah, it is perfect, it, and it you know after. During during birth, it turned out to be perfect. It was just what I needed. So and then um, so we live on a, a piece of property with my partner's parents and his sister and her husband. We all live in separate houses, but kind of communal property. Um, and uh, grandma and grandpa were super supportive. Um, she, uh, mother-in-law, had hospital birth. Um, and episiotomies and did that whole rigmarole. Um, and neither of them really had ever heard of people doing unassisted birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and her, her, like her one concern, like right after I told them, she said, you know, oh, I've heard about this woman on the island who had child protective services called and her, her baby taken away for something not related to unassisted birth, but, um, that was just like her, her, her big fear. And <laughs> me with like, my defense is all up. I was yeah. like, you know, launched into my speech of like, you know, I've already made this decision and, uh, I can't hear any of your fears. Like if, if you want to discuss something, cause you're interested, I'm happy and I can provide you with all sorts of education, but I can't hear anybody else's fears. And, and after that, they were just completely 100% on board. Hell yeah, girl. I, I don't think because I scared them away, but <laughs> but uh. Well, you set a boundary, and, and actually, yeah, I set a, I set a boundary, and that's this whole this whole pregnancy has been me setting really strict boundaries, and then and then stepping back from them from them as I need to. Mm-hmm. That's what's up. Stepping back from them quite far, actually, but yeah, I've I've definitely set set a a lot of boundaries and, and it's been, it's been really great. Um, they, they actually were so excited and so proud um, of the whole experience. Well, one, one question I have before we get into your birth story is, and it's kind of an irrelevant question in a way, but I'm just curious if 
midwifery was a part of your village and it was available, do you think you would have preferred an elder experienced, you know, woman midwife attending you? Or did you specifically feel drawn to the aloneness, um, or whatever the right word is, you know? Yeah, no, I definitely wanted to be alone, which people who had given birth before, like my mom, um, when I, you know, I told her like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I want anybody there. Like, I think, I I think I like when I'm sick or when I'm in pain Mm -hmm. or anything like that, I like, I am a, like, don't talk to me. Like, just let me hide in the bathroom by myself and work this out all by myself. Mm -hmm. And she was like, Oh, well, when I was giving birth, like your dad was my rock, like holding his hands and looking into his eyes was like, what kept me, kept me there. And I was like, okay. Like, and so (laughs) I was, I was open, I was open to that, but I just like, I just kind of didn't, see that for myself sure um so yeah I don't you know I think if there had been midwives available on the island I might have like tentatively pursued that Mm -hmm. just because I, I I've been really relieved this entire pregnancy and birth that that my options were so limited because it kind of forced me to really live my ideals yeah um Cool. And I think that it's easy. It, there's been so many times that I've that I've wanted somebody else to take the reins, you know, just because it's scary sometimes, like sure. being the only one responsible. Like my partners aren't responsible. Like there's nobody. There's people that I can ask their opinions, but like when it comes down to it, like I am the only one in control here, and that's it's awesome and powerful, but it's terrifying sometimes. Hell yeah. And I think that if there had been the option of you know, of a, of a midwife who would tell me what to do. There, there are weak, there were times where I was weak and I might have, I might have taken that. But the thing is like, even, even at the end of the day, what is a midwife telling someone to do, you know, other than these like regulated tests? I mean, she might've like told you to eat or not eat something or to do a squat or not do a squat. But like, you know, that at the end of the day, like, it's not like a midwife is somebody or a doctor is somebody who's really, um, there all that much in your pregnancy. It's more of this illusion. And you bring up such a good point because, you know, free birth ultimately is about taking responsibility for yourself. And the thing is, Mothers are going to do that sooner or later, most likely, you know, they can push it off in birth and be super managed and have a doctor tell them what to do and, um, you know, have the nurses take care of the baby. But at some point they come home and at some point they're going to be making their own decisions, you know, and I guess even furthermore, I want to say, even if a woman is choosing a doctor to tell them what to do, they're still making that choice, you know, and we are in a society that so actively tries to escape responsibility and escape, um, yeah, self-accountability, right? Because that's one of the scariest parts of free birth is there's no one else to blame. I'm going to have to take Mm -hmm. responsibility for my choice and for my baby. And like you said, a part of that is the most powerful, freeing, um, high experience, you know, that there is. And, as it's said in all areas of life, responsibility comes with, um, Spider-Man. 
With great power comes great responsibility. There we, there we go. go. There we go. With great yeah. power comes great responsibility. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you can't, you can't like live small, you know, and, and have everyone else make your decisions and stay this kind of small person. And then, um, yeah. And then expect to feel powerful and vice versa. You can't expect to feel powerful and state claim in your life and create this experience and then expect no responsibility. So it's, I, I hear you. I mean, it's, it's, it's super heady. I was surprised by how heady, uh, unassisted pregnancy was. My also, my, my, um, my kind of like coping mechanism or my thoughts process anytime that I would have, um, like the urge to like fall off responsibility or I'd get afraid would be to, to really think out in my head, like, like go through every single, like step-by-step what would happen if I did go in, like Mm -hmm. what, what are they going to tell me? What are they going to do for me? Like what answers are they going to be able to give me? Um, and inevitably when I'd get to the end of that scenario, it would be like, they're not going to do anything for me. They're going to, they're going to make me more afraid. Mm-hmm. They're going to do ambiguous testing that's not going to give me any answers about what's actually going on. It's just going to give me a bunch of possibilities of things that could be going wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm going to be in the system, and and it's just, like, it's not worth it. And also, another thing that really helped is to just not make any decisions quickly. Like, you don't have to, like, when you're having a fear in that moment, you don't have to make a decision in that moment based on that fear. Like you can just, nothing is happening that quickly. Like you can just take a day and, and usually the next day I would be like, wow, um, I feel completely differently about right. this situation. Like, like there was a couple of times where I experienced like a little bit of bleeding, like midway through pregnancy and like, you know, you wipe and you're just like, Oh my God, like heart attack. Totally. You just feel horrible. And then, and then I just like consciously I'm like, okay, like, watch your breathing like don't don't panic and it's not a big deal and we'll revisit this tomorrow and then I would come back to it tomorrow and I wouldn't be bleeding and I would feel fine and baby would be kicking and I'd be like okay that was Mm -hmm. no big deal yeah so it's as if your body could you know fix itself and take care of your baby and you know, it's, it's, we, it's, what? It, it, yeah, what? it gets painted in our society that the hospital is this like magic, magic place that has like all these things, um, you know, that's going to make you better, which doesn't really make any sense with pregnancy. And unless you're at the tail end of pregnancy where it would be safe to remove the baby, they can't do shit. You know, I mean, what right. they can give you an ultrasound, which just tells you if there's a heartbeat or not, and they can speculate on the possible, you know, ways to pathologize your pregnancy. Like that, like you said, you know, it's, yeah. it's so yeah. smart to slow. I, I had a near drowning incident in the second, 12th or 13th um, week of my pregnancy. And same thing. I had this like knee jerk reaction of like, am I supposed to go get checked out? Okay, wait, what does checked out mean? What would they do? What what is really happening if I were to go get checked out and 100% what would happen is they would just give me an ultrasound. That's all that they would do. (laughs) It's not like there's some other way that they can assess you. Yeah. And that's totally our mindset with, I mean, just the whole medical model is that they, they do have the answers and that's just something that I've been having to, and pregnancy just like put it front and center, Mm -hmm. but you know, for everything in our lives, for 
um, for any anything health and human and body wise, it's like the the doctors have a have an answer for you, and, and that's like, and that's they the don't thing. Have and, an answer, <laughs> and if you know, I think there's a big difference of like I think fundamentally the problem in our culture is women aren't allowed to say I have my own answer, you know, because we don't trust women. Mm-hmm. But if you are going, I don't have the answer, and so I want to seek other people who may have an answer. That is totally legit. Like no one's knocking that. Mm-hmm. But if a woman is saying. I actually feel fine or I don't want to do that test or I'm not interested in exploring, you know, that path. And I am, you know, coming up with my own, um, independent, intuitive decisions and, um, answers to my own questions. Well, that needs to be, you know, front and centered acknowledged. And obviously that's why there's such pushback about free birth. And that's why it's such a big deal that all different types of women, um, are deciding this for themselves because it's, I mean, the most radical part about this is how radical it is, right? Like that women are just like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let this happen is like, oh, you're just going <laughs> to let this happen. Who does that? <laughs> anyway, let's, let's pivot, yeah. let's pivot towards your birth. Cause I want to hear all the, all the details, your, your written birth story. What was that a day or so afterwards? that you posted in the group was one of my most favorite, favorite, favorite written birth (laughs) stories that I've ever read. So I'm excited to hear you tell it in real time. Yeah. It's, um, like it's actually the most boring part of my entire pregnancy. Well, and actually Um, I want to, before we go to the actual story, I wanted to, um, reminisce on our funny little conversation that I really think highlights, um, the inaccuracy of measuring the fundus, right? Oh yeah. Because, um, you know, you and I, you and I had, were Facebook messaging and, and my understanding was that if you were 34 weeks, um, or why don't you just tell it if you were going to be living on a boat in April to just make sure you include include that part. Cause I thought that was funny. Yeah. So um, so I, when the date that I conceived on was, um, it, it could have been two cycles. So, um, I was either, you know, getting towards the end of my pregnancy, I knew I was either 34 or 38 weeks, um, or 33 or 37, whatever. Um, and so I was almost positive that I was, um, going to be due in May. So I thought that I had conceived on a later cycle. Um, and so I took a job, uh, out of town, um, out of our village and was where, uh, we keep our boat in another town because there's a harbor over there and our fishing boat. And so I was staying on our fishing boat alone, um, for five days out of the week while I worked, um, out of town. And, um, I was like, I had never been pregnant before. So I, <laughs> I was like, just kind of going with it and pretty much just like downplaying everything being like, <laughs> like okay, like <laughs> this doesn't mean anything. This doesn't mean anything. This doesn't mean anything. And, and I was kidding. Like, so I had lost like a big chunk of mucus, um, mm-hmm. like, like a big snotty chunk of mucus, um, when when I thought that I was, you know, around thirty weeks or so. Mm, okay. Uh and, and and I didn't I didn't even tell anybody. Like I didn't 
like, <laughs> I didn't tell anybody at all. I didn't ask anybody about anything. I was just like, well, I know my mucus plug could regrow. So <laughs> this happened. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye, mucus. Uh, and then I just like, I was just like in the back of my head. I was just like, I don't know. I feel like I just feel different. Like things are just changing. Like this timeline is happening. And just from what I understand of pregnancy and birth, like I feel like I'm getting riper. Um, and so I had, uh, in, we had some conversation about like, <laughs> I think I invested in been like, yeah, I don't actually know what I do. <laughs> and I'm kind of just living on the boat out here and get prepared to, like, possibly have my uh-huh. baby alone on the boat. Wow. <laughs> and that, that could happen because I just had no idea. And um, and you recommended to try and measure my fundus. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. You know, I hadn't done that which, my whole pregnancy. Which I need to insert is not actually – that was just like, a, I guess, a stupid thing to even say because it's <laughs> well, not. No, it felt, yeah, go ahead. It felt really good to do it, though. Like, it, we, we, I did it. Like, I, like, ran into the bathroom right then. I got off the phone with you and measured my fundus, and it said I was 34 weeks, which was exactly, you know, I was either 34 or 38 weeks, and I measured it 34, and I was like, ha-ha, <laughs> problem solved. That's 34 weeks. Oh I still God. have, you know, I still have a month to go. <laughs> And so that just kind of like, I was like, all right, like, so this is all just, you know, this is what's happening. And then how, how many days later did you go into labor? Um, I, it, I don't, it was like maybe a week later or something like that. So it was not very, it was not very far. Do you, (laughs) so then do you feel in retrospect that you birthed around 35 weeks? Um, I, so when I, uh, like when I looked at my calendar and stuff, I think I was 37. So it must've been 33 weeks later that we had had that conversation. I don't remember. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that I, <laughs> that 37 weeks, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love that you don't know, actually. I think that's really cool because, you know, I think, I think that, for for some women, they want a free birth, but still keep it very about the numbers and they do all the same prenatal care, but they manage it themselves, which is totally fine because there's a million ways to do this. But I also love when there's women like you and I have a girlfriend in Hawaii who, who has no idea. She, she's like, the baby will be due at some point this year. Like she really genuinely doesn't yeah. know and quite intentionally and it's her third. So it's a bit more, more wild than it was probably with her first, but, uh, you know, I, I love it. I think there's a massive surrender in that. And because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. You weren't going to yeah. go to the hospital anyway. And so you were obviously right. within a window that you felt comfortable birthing, um, you know, on a boat or at home or wherever it wound up being. So it doesn't really matter. But I was just curious after you birthed, I was like, man, does that mean that was that fundus thing off? Yeah. You know, we'll never know. We'll, I don't know. We'll I'll, have know. To, I'll have to go back and look at when we had that conversation and then compare it to when I actually gave birth. Yeah. Because um, I'd be interested. And and so the the big thing for me that, that reassured me about um, just kind of like where I was at in, on the spectrum of labor and birth is that um, things had been progressing at like, just like, like signposts, you know, uh-huh. like, like, oh, okay. And like this, you know, I lost a 
big chunk of mucus and then like you know a few weeks later like started feeling like forgetful and then <laughs> my and hicks were were changing in their flavor and their feeling it just just i wasn't looking at like specific like this happened on this date and at sure. this time and this frequency it was just like it's just like things were changing at a pace that I felt good with and mm-hmm. headed in the right direction, yeah. <laughs> which is totally vague and it's going to be different for everybody. But it was like that just, it felt, it felt like pregnancy was good. It felt like it was being pregnant. So, so I was still working and um, yeah, like I said, I was like, things were just starting to feel different and I was getting forgetful and I never really got like huge like I didn't really get uncomfortable or um I don't know I just felt and and I never got the Linnea Negra and I never got stretch Mm -hmm. marks so I was just like waiting for those all to like explode on my body Mm. and it just and it didn't happen so that was another thing that I was just like okay like I still have quite a while to go um but then I had um a day I had one day off of work that week and I drove back to our village um and uh I drove back after work that night and then I had the one day off um and during that one day I got up in the morning and I felt um I felt really good (laughs) like I was just like like today is a good day and so uh First thing in the morning, I went out and with my father-in-law, like turned dirt in the garden, getting ready for planting potatoes. So I was like shoveling and like, uh, you know, working in the sun and getting all muddy. And then um, after that, I went for a a walk, like a pretty long walk with my partner and the dog. Um, And like, as we were getting back close to home, I, I said to him, like, I have never been so uncomfortable in my body but felt so good I was like I feel high like it was it was just like it was so good like my head felt like it was like floating and um I don't know I just it was like indescribable I just felt really good but I wasn't like I didn't think anything of it I was sure. just like yeah today was a good day I feel good today uh and then we got home and I ate a huge lunch. I was really hungry. I ate a huge lunch. And then just like immediately afterwards got this like visceral urge to be alone and to take a nap. I was like, I'm going home. I'm going to bed. <laughs> and I just got up and left and came home. And I took like a two hour nap. And it was just a glorious nap. Like when you wake up from and just feels really good. <laughs> and, uh, and then I went back up to the house that we all kind of socialize at the big house and ate um two bowls of clam chowder which i i do not like clams like the gross and i was like fuck yeah clam chowder like was it already (laughs) was it already like prepared and you just ate it or you were like i need to eat clam chowder no well my (laughs) mother-in-law like cooks dinner for the family sometimes so it was just like a big family meal and it no, it was, she had just made clam chowder, gotcha. and okay. I, I just don't. I just usually eat something else. And yeah, I was just like that funny. day. I was like, this sounds really good. And I ate two big bowls of clam chowder, and then um, at that point, I was having like um, 
like really, really, really mild period cramps, but, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like, um, cramps that come and go. It was like, a, like when you actually have your period, like it was just like a constant, like just low, small cramp. Um, and so I was like, well, that's not a contraction because it's not coming and going. Mm. <laughs> this is nothing. And, you know, I was like, I had to go to work the next day. So I was like, I'm not in labor. Like, this is, this is just part of the spectrum. Like, we're just going to keep going, keep trucking till May. And uh, <laughs> just keep your legs together. <laughs> yep, I was still going to give birth in May. At this point, it's April 17th. <laughs> and you're uh, literally in labor. <laughs> Yeah, I must have, that must have been like my, the start of my labor. And, um, so by that point it was like, you know, it was evening time and I went home and, um, and I noticed like a little bit of like pink tinged when I wiped, um, but no like big chunks of mucus like I had lost earlier. So I was like, okay, well this just like, all this means is that my cervix is changing and that's, that's totally normal. And my cervix could be changing for weeks before I have this baby. So I just noted it mm-hmm. <laughs> and I went to bed. Nice. So I was like, okay, the cervix is changing. That's all this means. Um, and I, I, so usually I listen to a podcast, like just whatever podcast um, to help me fall asleep. And I put on a podcast and uh, fell asleep. <laughs> and when I woke up, and my cramps were like just got kind of uncomfortable, and I was just restless. I just was like kind of awake, and so I put on another podcast, and I just like wasn't interested. Usually, I fall asleep in like ten minutes, and I was just like, oh, this podcast is kind of irritating me. Like it's just not the right one. I tried to switch it to a different one, and it was just not working out. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna masturbate. That'll help me fall asleep. Um, and so, and so this was actually, um, my partner had made, like built me this day bunk downstairs. We live in a really tiny little house and, um, he had built me this day bunk downstairs cause I pictured myself not wanting to go up the really steep stairs mm-hmm. to our um, upstairs bed later in pregnancy. Um, but I hadn't been using it at all. Like I'd been using it to sit on in the day, but <laughs> like I hadn't been sleeping there. But this night I was like, ah, like, I just feel like being alone, like in my bed. So I was downstairs, um, partner was asleep upstairs and, uh, I decided to masturbate to help myself fall asleep. And so I did. And it was not even that great of an orgasm. It was just like a, it was just like a, like, I need to go to sleep. (laughs) Like, like, you know three minutes and done kind of thing. And the second, the second I climaxed, water just gushed everywhere. Like, oh my it, God. Was, it was just like, boosh. <laughs> and I was like, huh. <laughs> Okay, well, this is a little bit harder to write off. <laughs> I love, I, I love like, that, like, <laughs> I love the being so specific that it wasn't even that good of a climax, even though <laughs> it broke your bag of waters. It's amazing. Well, I'm so that's like the part that I'm like so fascinated about is like what was going on in my uterus during that orgasm that like it, it literally it was like the exact second of climax, like that it popped and my water broke. So there I mean, must yeah, have been, it was ready. It had to have squeezed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just like squeezed it just enough to, to pop it. But I hadn't like, I had like not had any contractions up until that point. It was still just like, like a dull constant period cramp. So mm-hmm. I was still in denial and then I wasn't in denial anymore. I was like, okay, well the baby's going to come 
probably in the next few days mm-hmm. <laughs> sometime. And I was like, okay, well, um, I guess I should get up and, like, put down a towel or something, like, just in case the baby is going to come sooner rather than later. So I had um, uh, I, I had all these plans about what labor was going to be like for me. Um, and I had uh, made myself this birthing stool that, so when I first found out I was pregnant, I was walking along the beach um, and there's this, there's this old cemetery that's right on the waterfront, um, just out of town, like a couple of miles out of town. And I was walking by there and I saw this like cedar stump that was like perfect. It just spoke to me. It was beautiful. And I carried this like 80 pound cedar stump on my back two miles back to town. It took me hours to get it back here. And then I carved the whole thing out. Like I carved out the inside of it to like a bowl shape. So it was like a toilet seat edge. And and then I like cambered, I cambered the bottom like in all directions. So it was like slightly rounded on the bottom. So it could like rock in a 360 degree motion. Uh Like it was a pain in the ass. It was a lot of work and it was, and I had my partner like paint the inside with like a design and like my baby was going to be born in the stump. Nice. That sounds <laughs> and, so cool. Uh, it was really cool. <laughs> and so I like, I like hauled this stump in from off the porch and I got down my, I had a, um, a like an aerial yoga hammock, um, like piece of silk swingy thing, uh, hanging from the ceiling. And oh, I like, nice. pulled I, that all down. I did too. Yeah, and that was that was like the only thing that I used. Uh-huh. <laughs> I I pulled it all down, got it all ready, and like I put uh, and yeah. So after that, they just like progressed really quickly. Um, it went from like late period cramps to like ah, uh, this is really uncomfortable. And I was like, try, I like couldn't get comfortable. <laughs> I was trying out. I was trying out all these different positions to to try and get comfortable like leaning over the bed and then you know I tried sitting on my stump and I was just like nope (laughs) this is not gonna work for me and I didn't touch the darn thing once more uh and um yeah so like just really really quick I mean so this is like uh after my water had broken this is maybe uh like an hour into it I kind of spent just like ambling around trying to get comfortable um and then after that I uh I started to like make a little bit of noise like I was starting to moan a little bit does Um, your partner know yet that labor's happening no I hadn't I hadn't said anything okay (laughs) he was still still snoring upstairs um yeah and and so he he woke up when I I was like pouring myself some water or something and he was just like called down. He was like, uh, "Do you need me down there?" And I was like, um, "I don't think so. Oh, my water broke, but you know it could be a long time yet. So you just stay up there." Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, "Okay." And then he's like, "You don't have to tell me twice." <laughs> <laughs> I progressively was getting uh, louder and louder. Um, you know, through these contractions. And I was really confused because I had had read so many birth stories and heard so many things. And I know, like, I know intellectually that 
that all labors are different. But I also just like believed that they all follow kind of a general pattern. Um, but mine was like, like it was like nothing, 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 you know, period cramp, water broke. And then it was like really strong. It didn't, it didn't even feel like a contraction though. Like it just was like sharp pain, like burning pain, like in, in like my lower belly, Mm -hmm. like it almost felt like on the skin, like it didn't feel deep. It didn't like, I'm, I like, I'm very aware of like my uterus and my cervix and what they feel like. And like, what it feels like when they're doing things um, and contracting and just like just didn't feel like anything that I felt before. And they were so close together, but really short. Like they're just, they're lasting for like 20 seconds, but they were like a minute apart. And it was like, okay, this is like off my script here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and, but, and I was just telling myself like, okay, this is what it's going to be like for the next 12 hours. Like you got this, like <laughs> it's just, it's going to be a while. And, um, so I I think I, I was just getting, like, pretty loud. And my partner was like, do you want me down there yet? And I was like, yeah, maybe you could just come down here just because I might need you to get me a bucket. Because <laughs> yeah. I was, like, I was a little nauseous and I was shaky and, like, oh, my hands were really clammy. And it just felt like. It was all that clam chowder. <laughs> Goddamn clam chowder. Yeah. So so he came downstairs and he like walked by me. At this point I was on my hands and knees on my yoga mat on the floor. And uh he he patted me on the back <laughs> and I was just like, um, oh Yeah, if you could just go sit over there in the corner. <laughs> So I, I just, I banished him, not banished him, but I sent him politely to the corner, the opposite side of the room, which is like 10 feet away, but in the dark. And I had all the lights out, so it was very dark. And he was very quiet and wonderful, um, didn't say anything at all. And I just got completely in the zone. Like I was, uh, I used my yoga hammock for a little while and I was standing up and through a contraction would be hanging off of it, like marrying my face in it and just hanging, um, like with my knees slightly bent and just kind of like rocking and swinging. And, um, and then I couldn't stand anymore (laughs) and I was on my hands and knees and I just have this image of myself, um, like, you know, like the cartoon images of donkeys when they're braying, like how, like when they, when they bray, their whole like head goes forward and like their teeth are all exposed. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that's, that's what I was doing is like, when I'd have a contraction, I would just like rock totally. forward, like my whole body, like neck extended. And like, I, this I can is, picture like, it. this is the most paramount thing of my entire labor like my labor for me in my mind in reflection has turned into this yell that I was that I was doing and um it was it was kind of amazing it was like I I am very proud of myself I it never turned into anything high-pitched or or ragged or um or despairing it was a um it was like very much from the diaphragm Mm -hmm. um like a very a very tight like 
I don't even know how to describe it. I've never yelled like that before. It was very yeah, it was wild. wild. And <laughs> yeah, and uh, you were a wild I, donkey. I, and, <laughs> yeah, I was a wild donkey. Own it, girl. Own your wild donkey. Hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At this point, I was still like, I was still, I was like, in for the ride. I was like, oh my god, like this is insane. It hurts so bad. But I, it was like. It, I read a description somewhere of a lady describing contractions, and she said that it was um, exquisite pain, and and it really was. It was just like it, it was just like perfect pain. I don't know. It was impossible to describe. Uh, like there there was no there was like no break, and the only fear that I had during this entire process was like in the midst of these like relentless donkey contractions was like, I am going to asphyxiate because I cannot stop yelling. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not breathing in between these contractions. And I thought that I was going to not be able to breathe. Um, And so that went on for probably like an hour, um, just getting louder and louder. And I was on my hands and knees and our, so our house is um, built of red cedar, um, six inch thick board. Um, so there's no insulation or anything. It's just six inch thick solid wood walls <laughs> and it's really small. And I was on my hands and knees right in front of our wood stove, which is a, uh, a stainless steel um, barrel, like a soda can mm-hmm. barrel. Um, and so the entire house was like echoing, like just reverberating with these like powerful, powerful brains. Um, and, my partner finally, after an hour of this, just kind of like peeped up from the dark corner and was like, "Is it okay if I go to the pair of earplugs?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, go. <laughs> okay, don't care. <laughs> don't talk to me." Uh, and so he got up and uh, went out the front door and started going down the path to our shop to get a pair of earplugs. And um, I had. Um, a contraction and like while well, he was like out and I was like in my head I was like oh that one felt different like I like didn't say anything yet but I was like that one felt different mm. and then a couple of seconds later another one and I was like Eric come back <laughs> like somebody's coming out <laughs> and so he came back in and um and and it was just like ah it was so cool the just feeling them change. Like, I don't, I, I, I just like no words to describe it. It just, they changed and they felt different. And was your hand down there at all? Did you, did you feel house, like it was just dead quiet? And I was just like immediately like in a different space, like calm and like, like just in reverence for the being like moving through my body. Um, and I did not, there was like no thought involved in this, um, moving from my hands and knees to like a a deep squat slash lunge so I was like squatting with one half and then knee up with the other half so like my butthole was like right on the ground (laughs) right on my yoga mat (laughs) and um she just came out so fast like um and and I did not experience the fetal ejection reflex it was um but I also didn't really push either. I don't know. It's like a, it wasn't, it wasn't a really powerful 
um, physical feeling. It was like, it was just like very calm and controlled and I could feel her moving down. And then I felt her head. Uh, yeah, I don't, I wasn't really, I don't know. I don't think I was having like, I didn't feel like really strong contractions. Um, like I didn't feel my uterus tightening at all. Um, I just like, it, it felt, it really felt like taking a poop. Um, mm-hmm. like if, if you've had like a big hard poop that, you know, and like, I, I was like, <laughs> that was actually a baby. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, cause like I would practice sometimes like when I was pooping, like, like just breathing poop out <laughs> mm-hmm. like as a, you know, just to like experience what that feels like to not, to not like push it out, not force it out, but just to like feel it come out. And it just, it like felt like that. It was like, you know, just like little, like little exploratory pushes, mm-hmm. um, like gingerly kind of easing her out and then and I, I gravity would, and that position. I would say that that is the fetal ejection reflex that, that the baby was just coming. It doesn't necessarily mean it's this like insane, um, fast, you know, aggressive thing. I think the fetal ejection yeah. reflex is just the fetus birthing him or herself. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it for sure felt like a team effort. Cause like I was not putting a lot of effort or thought into it. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of, yeah, I don't know. It just kind of happened. Like it was, I'm glad that I didn't try and plan for that part. Yeah. Cause it just happened. Um, and then her head was out and like, I just, ah, oh, I love that feeling like her head in my hand and feeling like just talking to her and feeling hmm. her body turn in my pelvis and that Mm -hmm. was the that was the one thing the one thing in my labor that that went like (laughs) that went with something that I had hoped for and like kind of like dreamed about uh was being able to feel that that was something that I like always fantasized about was like how cool is that that you could have a head out of your body and like the rest of it is in your body and it's like you can feel it through your entire being and so I felt her I felt her turn and then, and then the rest of her came out and, um, I had it really, really dark in the house. And it was, so this was like one o'clock in the morning, um, that she was actually born and I had no lights on. And, um, so I, I was like torn. I really didn't want to turn the lights on, but I really wanted to see like what she looked like. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, That's funny. Like, um, and then, and then placenta was right, right on the heels, like was like already at the opening of my vagina, like as she came out. And so, oh my God, that felt so good too. Like birthing the placenta was my absolute favorite part <laughs> of, of the entire process. It was like, like so satisfying to get everything out and be empty. Ugh. Um, and then so finally my partner got to help. I had him get a bowl for me for the placenta. <laughs> <laughs> I called him over. Um, so, yeah. And then um, that was pretty much it. Like, I just I sucked, some, sucked some mucus out of her a little bit because she was a little bit raspy. Um, sucked it out with what? With my mouth. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. Um, just got it a little bit out of her, out of her nose. Um yeah, and then 
I actually like I got like halfway through a text to you. I was like, really? I have no baby. And I was like, what are Aww. you doing? Back? Like, don't, don't text her at one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> like, you don't need to start that right now. Uh, <laughs> so I I didn't send it. Oh, that's so cute. Um, well, you told me you told me through the ethers. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I did, I called my mom and dad, they live down in Oregon, and I called them, like, mm. right after she was born, and woke them up out of bed and told them that she was born, um, just because I was really excited, and I wanted to tell somebody, <laughs> uh, and then, um, yeah, after that, I was, like, really, I don't know, it was very anticlimactic, <laughs> um, and I also, like, I did not get the um, like endorphin rush, like high, feel really good. I feel like I got that before, mm-hmm. but before, <laughs> like when I, when I went for that walk and felt really good, <laughs> that was like my, that was my oxytocin rush right there. Cause afterwards I was like, uh, I was like pretty shaky and like, I was so, I pictured myself like after watching all these birth videos and like, hearing all these stories, um, like I would cry at birth videos all the time, like just ball, like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. And like, I thought I was going to be um, like a la- like a joyful laughing, crying, like pull her up to my chest and be like, had share this moment with my partner, like see his face, to see his child. And that was not how I am at all like oh, me I, too. I didn't cry I pulled her out I was so businesslike like yeah I was me so too calm. <laughs> I was just like okay will you please um will you please hand me that bucket and will you please turn that light on I was like really polite really calm that's hilarious and then just like just like handled it and then got into bed um downstairs and um like I was like kind of like wired like I couldn't I we didn't fall asleep we just sat there in the dark like mm. it was quiet for five hours <laughs> until we were just waiting until it was like light enough that other people would have woken up um so we could like go out and show her to mm-hmm. the rest of the family but uh also <clears throat> we had um this is the one, so it was my one day off of work, and it was one day that we had um, family friends from out of town staying on the property with us. So our like, I, I pictured myself like using the shower like in labor because I really like to take showers when I'm sick, and um, they were staying. Our shower and laundry and stuff is in a separate building, and they were we had guests staying in that building, so I was like. Mm. So all my plans <laughs> went out the door. Well, that's Anyways, birth. <laughs> so, yeah, right? I was just like, well, that was really fast and intense. And just, it was so, it was just so normal. It was just like, hmm. it was just so basic and uneventful. I don't know. I don't know. It's like, I don't know how to describe yeah. how. Like, I, I just like thought for sure that I was going to have um, some sort of like, like, semi-spiritual experience like just um I don't know just like who I am like as a person I I well, have felt that I was gonna have some something more than that but it was but it's coming as I'm like reflecting the the spiritual experience is coming through reflection hmm, um, that's what I was gonna ask is is what about postpartum have you um have you cried um 
I cried like a week later when I saw that my daughter had a hangnail and I realized that there were times that she's going to be in pain and that I'm not going to be able to help her. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the first time that I cried. I was like, oh my God, like you're a separate being and I can't protect you anymore. From or your <laughs> the, other, the other horrible thing that made me cry the other day was that I accidentally hurt her. And I just mm. like put her on the bed too quickly and it scared her and she started to cry. I guess it was more scared. I didn't hurt her, but I yeah. was like, oh my God. And then like one time <laughs> I went to pick her up too quickly and my, my thumb just like nicked her ear and, oh. she, and she just started to cry. And I was like, this is so fucked up. Like I, I hurt you. And now I'm the one comforting you. Like, this, yeah. is, like, this is like abusive. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's so intense. Yeah, it's definitely a trip. <laughs> yeah. So um, how was your postpartum? I, and I wanted, if you would, I wanted you to speak to, before we wrap up, about, um, I thought it was interesting when you posted something the other day in the group about um, your partner's almost lack of involvement. Um, I thought that was interesting. I don't remember your words around it, but I was wondering. Was it about him blowing, him blowing raspberries on our face? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So postpartum has definitely been like the the biggest learning experience for me. So like I mentioned earlier, I had like, um, I set a lot of boundaries for myself pre-birth. I had made like kind of a like a postpartum game plan that I gave to the family, just like of, of my needs and my expectations, just because we all live so close together um, that like, I felt like I really needed to set some boundaries, um, which, so my boundaries were like, uh, like if you see me like walking through the property, like when I'm in labor, if I'm like headed towards the shower or something, like, please don't, please don't engage me. Like if, unless I engage you. Um, and then, so for my like 24 hours postpartum, I was like, um, like, please don't come back to the house. Like we'll send pictures, like, um, you know, it's just going to be very private, me and my partner and baby. And then I said for my like one week postpartum, um, I said, like, we might come up and visit you, but please also don't come back to the house. Like, I don't want anybody outside of family to come to the property. Um, <laughs> just like, like very specific um, and pretty strict in my, in my privacy. Um, and then as it turned out, <laughs> like immediately after she was born, uh, like at six o'clock that morning, I was like, let's go up to the big house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I wanted to show her off yeah. and, and I felt I felt really good. I didn't care at all. Like bleeding was very minimal. Like I felt, I mean, I felt like shaky a little bit and like, just like I had done like a huge physical event, but like other than that, I felt really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we went up to the house and like showed her off to the, like to pe- a guy that I had never met before, <laughs> and, like a friend of the family. And like, he was like giving her gifts. And like she still had like blood all over her head, nice. <laughs> which I imagine was. And everybody was. It was a good experience. Like all like the friends of the family and his friend were like bawling. Like these two older men were just like crying because they had never seen such a a fresh baby before, and mm-hmm. they were like giving her gifts and stuff. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So that for that first week or so, uh, so my mom 
flew in to visit and to um to help out she was a really sleepy baby um like like really sleepy and uh breastfeeding was like kind of hard (laughs) uh at first um and I so I had a breast reduction a year ago so it's like already a huge stress for me um like my worry about being able to produce enough milk Mm um and so I had my mom come up because so my mother-in-law never breastfed. She bottle-fed formula um, mm. from the get-go for both her kids, and so I I didn't really have, and and so most of the people in our village are are older, um, so I don't really have anybody to talk to about breastfeeding. Um, and so my mom came up to like kind of help out with that, um, which is great because I love I love my mom, <laughs> and it was really nice to have her, and it was really wonderful for her to see her baby, um, but. As it turns out, the person that I needed to be the most strict with with my postpartum plan was myself mm-hmm. um, because everybody else was super respectful of all of my wishes, but I was the one that broke all mm-hmm. of my my goals. Um, I was the one that initiated all of that, and at the end of that first week, it was like, this is not working. Like, I am so stressed. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like I felt, I felt, like, good physically until like I had started doing all this stuff and like I we went for a drive like to to drop to like pick up my mom and drop her off like out of town so it was like a hour drive down a bumpy Mm. dirt road and like um and I was just like getting super frazzled and so at the end of that week I was like uh, my mom left and I was like okay I am like shutting this down like cloistering myself like got the house really hot and just stayed naked and like me and baby were in bed and I didn't, um, I just like free bled on towels and did nothing at all. I told my mother-in-law like, okay, here's my new plan. Like I need these meals. Like I want you to cook this for me, bring it to me. Um, good for you. And yeah, well, so funnily enough, um, that actually turned out to not be, exactly right for me either because after a few days of like being in the house and my and it was like (sighs) such an adjustment for a relationship um between two people so myself and my partner um he like his happiness and internal like satisfaction comes from being um busy and productive and like um getting things done and being outside and like working on projects and stuff but he felt um, like obligated to kind of like stay inside with me and the baby. Um, and so that was not good for his mental health mm. and by proxy, not good for my mental health. And just like me just being inside, like just laying in bed all day in like a really hot room with like a baby that has so many needs that I don't understand. Mm. Like, wh- like <laughs> what does this mean? Like I, I was like, it was that was almost as stressful as like trying to live my life like nothing had happened like that first week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after a few days of doing that, I like found my balance. <laughs> like I came, I swung both ways really strongly and then kind of like found my balance in the middle, which was just staying really close to home, just seeing family, like not letting anybody outside of family see her, hold her, but also like going outside and going for walks yeah. in the sun and nursing on the beach um, and just focusing on drinking water. Um, 
and I've still I'm I've been sleeping in downstairs in a separate bed um and my partner sleeps upstairs which like that's like another one of those things that I thought like I I would have been offended if he had proposed that you know like that (laughs) yeah like like that he's gonna sleep upstairs so he can get sleep and I'm gonna stay downstairs and like I will completely take care of the baby by myself like which is what I've been doing like I I'm breastfeeding I'm you know changing your diapers I'm doing everything for her um and he's kind of just like going about his his life our life because so our fishing season starts you know in like a month (laughs) um we're gonna be out on the boat all summer fishing um, and so we have shitload of work to do to yeah. get the boat ready. Um, it's just like really like crunch time for us. So, well, and it's not um, like it's not like he's like off with his friends and playing video games and like not. I mean, he's playing a different role in the family. Yeah, you know, you're playing yeah, your and role it, and he's yeah. playing his. That works for you guys, and that makes sense to me. As long as both of you are cool with those roles, you know, then yep. then it's perfect. Yeah. And it's just, it's something that I thought that I would not have been okay with. Mm-hmm. Like, but now, like, as we enter into this, like, phase of our lives, it's like, okay, this is what our, like, this is what our parenting relationship looks like. And, and like, right. And, cool it, and it's, and it's just, what it looks like right now. Right. Like, yeah, she yep. is so, so new and this is all yeah. so new and really, you know, I mean, arguably she, kind of does just need you right now. Like, yeah. you know, I love when men are involved. My husband changed all the diapers. I didn't change a diaper, you know, really for like almost a month. Like that was our <laughs> dynamic, but you know, every dynamic is so different and it's going to look so different in phase two and phase three and when she's walking around and yeah. when he can feed her and you know, it's going to just keep morphine and changing. Yeah. And he's so like, he, like, I just, he's such an amazing person and he's so helpful and like just taking care of every, taking care of all the things that I don't want right. to have to think about right now. Like I can't, I can't think about all that. So I love to just lay in bed and nurse and he <laughs> goes out and paints the bottom of the boat. Like that's yeah, perfect that's for perfect. me. And like what we, I think what you touched on earlier, I put a comment on Facebook or something about like, um, like literally all his interaction with her, has been so far is like he blows raspberries on her face um like he like he 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 doesn't like kiss her or talk to her it's just like a very like I can see I can see what their relationship is going to be like when she gets a little bit older and she appreciates having raspberries <laughs> blown on her face exactly. but uh he just like that's just like who he is and where he's at and um and that's great and it's fine yeah, exactly. It'll keep changing. I mean, it's super different when a baby or a little kid can engage with the father and play with the father. And, yeah. you know, I know a lot of men who feel like they don't really quite know how to engage in the parenting process until the kid can respond to them. Uh, yeah. You know, some men are like that. Some aren't, you know, even some women are like that and some aren't. So, you know, I think it's. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I have like just barely started like interacting with her beyond like just shoving my boob in her mouth because totally. like that I like I I'm gonna be honest like newborns not my cup of tea totally. <laughs> like, that, like she like when she she's just sleepy and doesn't open her eyes and like it, it like doesn't she doesn't like still and I so when I was 
pregnant. I'm also not like a like a super connected to my baby during pregnancy type of person. Um, and after she was born, that kind of just like carried on. I was like, you don't quite feel human yet. Like, oh my and, gosh! Like, yeah, I it love you because feels... you're my child, and I'm gonna take care of exactly. you. Exactly. But... <laughs> I just was talking about that on on a podcast from last season about how Johnny and I both for for weeks were like we could give her back. Like she's, you know, like she's super cute, but it was, it felt like cute, like a puppy. It didn't feel right. I didn't feel this, like she's mine. Like, and, and I, you know, you know, just all the stuff that you hear that lots of, of people feel, yeah. which is totally beautiful that they feel that. And I had a really different experience and I know you're only two weeks postpartum at, at recording this or two plus, um, Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it would be fun to check in in a month and then in two months. And, and for me now by three months, it's like when she is out of my sight, it it feels weird. Like having, having um, it be tested when she's away from me, if it goes for more than an hour or something, you know, I can feel it in my body. But once she started to kind of like play back with us and engage back with us, it really started to feel more of like a relationship versus just essentially like (laughs) keeping them alive. A parasite. (laughs) Yeah. A really cute parasite. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, I love this story and I, I love the simplicity of it and I love, um, you know, some of it is also super, super unique and I've never heard of anyone opening their waters with an orgasm, which is so epic. (laughs) I love that so much. Um, and, and, you know, the honesty of postpartum and that it's awkward and it takes, you know, a while to figure out and you're only two weeks postpartum and you're already finding your flow and, um, you know, the boundaries and then like betraying your own boundaries and resetting them within yourself. I mean, it's all just so important to, um, to talk about and for women to listen to that are, that are about to head into this journey themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, you can like, you can start over as many times as you want. Exactly. Like, every day. <laughs> like, yep. You can be like, yeah. Every day you can just be like, well, yesterday didn't work. So I'm mm-hmm. going to do something different today. So beautiful yeah, learning process. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. I'm so excited to post your episode you. and I think people are really going to love it. Yay, I'm going to be famous. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. Famous Alaska girl. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. That's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.